again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. No, just kidding. <laughs> this is the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, the weekly get-together where most of the last three years that we've done this show, we've had to sit back and discuss the trials and tribulations of the Cleveland Indians and the successes of the Cincinnati Reds. And for some reason, the last two weeks, that scenario has changed. And let's bring in our resident Reds expert from down south, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. I'm not even going to ask you how you are. Well, David, all I know is that this must be the end of times. We we are facing the apocalypse. The, the, the world order is completely unhinged. The Indians are going off. They can't lose. And yet, the Reds are still closer to a playoff berth. It doesn't make any sense. There are some religious organizations that would agree with you, Mark, but we won't get into that tonight. <laughs> well, we are going to start out with the Cleveland Indians this evening because when we get to our Ask Us segment, Mark, we had a tremendous amount of input this week, and I'm going to tell you, once we get to the bottom of the hour and get to the Ask Us segment, it's mainly going to be about the Cincinnati Reds again tonight, and probably a lot of the things that you and I are going to discuss in the first half hour about the Reds are the things that our fans are writing in tonight and talking about with us about the Reds. But before we get into that, you can join us on the social media simply by emailing us tonight at askus or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Those are our email addresses, or you can send us a tweet at Alt Sports Talk, U-L-T Sports Talk, or at OHBB co-host. Mark, the Indians right now are facing the Detroit Tigers. It is a four-game set. It's the last time the Tigers will be in Cleveland this year. And the Indians right now going into the bottom of the seventh inning are up 2 to nothing behind Corey Kluber. And the Indians, for them... I would say that this is probably their biggest series of the year. Isn't it great to be in August and have the ability to say that about your team? Because the last three or four years, uh, you have been, um, I'd say depressed is, is the easy word to say, but certainly disappointed in the Indians' performance at those times. But right now, they're playing the, the best baseball in, in baseball, except for the two teams in their division, which is unbelievable. You have Detroit, Kansas City, and Cleveland all going 9-1 and one the last 10 games. Remarkable. And both divisions, the Central in the American and the Central in the National, arguably are the best divisions in the respective leagues. And it's unfortunate that the Indians have won nine and lost one. They could win again today. Go, and they, I think they've only picked up or a game or maybe lost a game over the last ten. They actually lost a game. They pulled within two and then lost a game, so now they're within three. But like I said, they're up 2 nothing in this game tonight against Anibal Sanchez. And, Mark, you and I talked before we went on the air. I cannot be believe Miguel Cabrera is playing in this game tonight against the Indians. The Tigers' third baseman has got a terrible hip problem, and he can barely walk. In the first inning, he hit a line drive double down the right field line that he was going to stop at first base, Mark, but Drew Stubbs bobbled the ball, 
and Cabrera basically limped, basically just took a fast walk into second base. There's no way this guy can run on the bases, and he's just hurting. Well, as I said, that's the kind of thing that wins you maybe not a MVP in the league, but it certainly earns you the respect of your teammates. And when a guy goes out there and plays hurt, uh, you know, your, your teammates respect that. And, uh, you know, Cabrera, he, he's, he's, he's an animal. He's in the league by himself. And there, I haven't yeah. seen a, a right-hand hitter like him. Well, you know, when, when Manny Ramirez was at his peak, I guess you could say those two guys were, were pretty close, but Ramirez never had uh, Cabrera's power. And that's where it's just amazing. The guy is so strong, and you can't get anything by him. And uh, it, it's nice to see a guy go out there. You don't want to see a guy play hurt, but he feels his team needs him in a big series, and he's out there you know, giving it what he's got. Well, especially now since they've lost Johnny Peralta, but we'll get into all of that later on. We're not going to spend much time on the biogenesis investigation. The Indians are 62-49 and 49 overall. This is the first time this year they've been 13 games above the 500 mark. They were 6-1 and one on the week. And, Mark, I thought that series that they played against Miami this weekend where they took two out of three was really a trap series because they had Detroit coming up this week and, of course, Miami, the worst team in the National League, they could have gone down there and really laid an egg, and they showed it on Friday night when they lost 13-2, to but then they came back and won 4-3 to on Saturday and then won last night. They really gutted those two wins out. I was very pleased with the way they went down to Miami and played those games. People say that, well, they're winning against bad teams. They said that about the Reds early on, and now the Reds can't win against anyone. But those are the kind of, of series teams that win divisions win. Uh, if they go down there, yeah, it's a trap series. It could be, but not if you're good. And Cleveland's good. <laughs> Their pitching is too good to get to go into Miami and lose two out of three or, or get swept. They're, they're just too good. And that's what you want. You, you, you want an expectation of performance that your team can per, give you day in, day out, and right now, the Indians are as good as any team in baseball. Uh, they've got everything going for them. They've, they've got good defense. They've got speed. They've got good pitching. They're getting power. They're getting good bullpen help. And uh, there's no reason why this team can't stay with Detroit. Uh, I think the dark horse is Kansas City. And, and what are they going to be doing? Because uh, they're surprising everybody. Just you know, three weeks ago, uh, I thought they were dead. And yet they're, you know, they're still hanging around, and it's uh, it's going to be a great race in the Central the rest of the year. Well, I want everybody to know these couple of stats about the Indians. That shutout that they performed yesterday against Miami was their league-leading 15th shutout of the season, and that was the first time that they've had that many since 1976 when they registered 17 shutout marks. And since the All-Star game, the three teams that you talked about at the top of the show, Detroit, Cleveland, and Kansas City, are the three teams that not only have the best records in the American League, but also the best ERA in pitching staffs. Detroit, number one, Cleveland, number two, and Kansas City, number three. And that just shows the pitching is still the name of this game. It sure is, and, and that's why I like the Indians. And, you know, with Verlander having an off year, if you can call what he does... <laughs> an off year, uh, you know, Detroit can be had. 
And I, I think what's happened, what surprised me is how quickly the Indians have moved into the wild card hunt. And I think at beginning play today, they had a half a game lead over Toronto and was it Baltimore uh, for the wild card. So uh, you know, it's going to be you know rock and roll times in Cleveland the rest of the year. It, it would certainly be exciting if both our teams made it, but we'll get into the Reds' chances later on. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Tomorrow, Mark, it's going to be the Battle of the Aces in this Cleveland-Detroit series. Justin Masterson for the Indians and Justin Verlander for the Tigers. That is going to be quite a matchup, at least on paper. Yeah, that, that would be a game I'd like to see. I hope I, I can see it tomorrow night. That, that's going to be a, a great pitching matchup. And that's the kind of, uh, you know, this series with Detroit, it does more than just help you in the standings. It, it, it lays down the, the law with the Tigers. Hey, we're, we're around. We're going to be here. Uh, you don't intimidate us. And I think you and I agreed last week if Cleveland could come out of here with a split, uh, it certainly shows that Detroit you're serious. But if you could win two out of three, and certainly if you win tonight, you start getting greedy. You say, okay, we won the first one. Now, let's see if we can win two more and take three out of four. Now, you got to win tonight to do that. Uh, and a lot can happen between now and the ninth inning. But uh, the Indians are for real, and I think everybody in the American League, particularly in the American League Central, knows it. Well, Corey Kluber's coming out to start the eighth inning. He's thrown 97 pitches in this game going into the eighth inning, and they've got the 2 nothing lead. Mark, I want to bring this up because... The Indians really did something that I did not expect this week. They have moved Ubaldo Jimenez back in the rotation. He was scheduled to start on Wednesday in this series. They've moved him back to Friday away from the Tigers because of the way that he's pitched this year against Detroit. And they're bringing up Danny Salazar from Columbus to pitch on Wednesday against the Tigers. Now, if you're like you are, somebody down in Cincinnati, and you hear that the Indians are moving... Jimenez away from Detroit and bringing up a rookie with only one other major league start. What would that tell you about the Indians' feelings on Jimenez? Well, it, it tells you obviously that they don't have confidence in him against Detroit. But you know what? I love that move. It may not work out, but it's a creative move and it's a move that Dusty Baker would never make because it takes some creativity and thinking outside the box, which he doesn't do. But I love the move. It, it's, it's somebody thinking, okay, this is our best chance to win because it's like Arroyo going against the Cardinals. He gets hammered every time he goes against the Cardinals. Now, you don't have to be a genius to say, well, maybe we ought to skip him in the rotation because the rotation had plenty of rest and move him back because he doesn't pitch well against the Cardinals. The Reds didn't do that. What happens? He gives up four runs in the first inning, and the Reds get beat 13 to three. I, I think bringing up Salazar, he's he's they've not seen him before. He's got a great arm. Uh, I I love the move, even if it doesn't work. I, I applaud Francona, and and clearly the GM had a lot to do with that move. They they wouldn't do that unless you know the GM was on board with it. Yeah, absolutely. I love the move too. I think it I think it's a great move, um, and. That brings up the question, who are they going to demote when they bring Salazar up? And there's a lot of rumors floating around Tribe Land this week, Mark, that it will be Mark Reynolds 
that will be released. He is not in the lineup tonight against the Tigers. And I want to run a couple things by you here. Mark Reynolds in April and May had 41 RBIs. Since June 1st, Mark Reynolds has had 7 RBIs and 67 strikeouts. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, when there was a time early in the year the Reds would have loved to have had Mark Reynolds, but he's played himself, you know, out of the interest of most teams. And you know, he's he's living up to the back of his baseball card. He overperformed April and May, and now he's back to where he was when he was in San Diego and, and striking out, uh, you know, 225 times a year. He's just that kind of hitter. Uh, can he help you for a short spurt? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, these guys have tremendous opportunities. And, again, a little later we'll talk about lost opportunities on the Reds, and they've got a ton of them. But, you know, Cleveland has enough depth they can bring people in to replace him and, and not miss a beat. Well, and one other stat I want to bring out before we get into the Reds, and it's going to lead us into the Reds, because it has to do with Drew Stubbs. And, Mark, Drew Stubbs has 101 strikeouts this year. But since July 1st, and you and I have talked about this off the air, I thought he's really been improving. And the things that the Indians have been doing with his swing, this is going to prove it. Since July 1st, Mark, he's had 16 strikeouts. That's it. Well, you've got a real talent there. And... You know, I think what happens, or you you hope happens, is notwithstanding what the organization and the coaches can do, the player wakes up. They see that their career is is circling the drain. When you strike out 220 sometimes and you hit 214 in in your fourth year in Major League Baseball, you better do something. And so maybe the 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 light went off in his head, not so much with the coaches, but himself. And I, I, I've not seen him play nearly as much as you have this year. But it, it appears to me he's going to right field more. He, he's hitting the ball into the ground, which he, his great speed and getting a lot of extra base hits, extra hits uh, during the year. And you pick up 10, 15 infield hits a year, it changes your whole year, batting average-wise. And that's all he had to do. And, of course, no one ever questioned his speed or his defense. And he's got a great arm. So, you know, I think he is a sleeper in that trade, and, and he could be the guy that you look back in five years and say, wow, what a steal uh, the Reds got, uh, the Reds gave the Indians. Well, I certainly hope so. It's time now for us to get into what's going on with the Reds. And before we find out your opinions, Mark, first of all, let me tell you a couple things. They've gone 2-8 and eight since that win over the Dodgers on July 25th. And, of course, over the weekend, they lose two out of three to the Cardinals. And I just want to play this short little clip from Dusty Baker after yesterday's game. And I've never really heard this guy so low. Let's listen to what he had to say. And I'm the leader of, you know, of, the, of the group. And uh, I don't like to be embarrassed you know, by my team. Uh, I'm part of the team. And, you know, embarrassment... Uh, Spreads around to everybody. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't really like getting beat up, and I don't like being embarrassed. Well, he says he doesn't like being embarrassed, and he doesn't like getting beat up, Mark. And that's exactly what happened over the weekend against the Cardinals. 
Yeah, it did. And uh, right now, the Reds are not even the third best team in the Central, the way they're playing. I think the Cubs right now are a better team than the Reds right now. They have a better record, I'll bet, over the last month. And it's it's absolutely amazing to me that people are – the thing that I can't understand is how fans can be surprised. And maybe the fans aren't. But how can Dusty Baker or Walt Jockety be surprised? Now, there may not have been a trade out there they could have made. But why do you wait to the trade deadline to do it? What's happening to the Reds now, the implosion of this team, statistically, particularly on the offensive side, uh, is is not surprising. Uh, what happened this week against the Cardinals was the starting pitching, which has been sol- solid as a rock this year. Arroyo gets lit up, and so does Leak. And now you've got to depend on the other three guys, and hopefully Cueto will be back. But if Cueto comes back... Uh, I'd be shocked if, if they don't do something with either Leak or Arroyo. Uh, Arroyo is not going to be re-signed, and he gets lit up a lot. He doesn't get lit up all the time, but he gets lit up a lot. And he takes you out of games more than any other pitcher in that rotation. So the, the Reds have to do something, both offensively and with the starting rotation. And, but the irony is... You mentioned they're two and what two and eight over the last ten, but over the last seventeen they're eight and nine. Now that's not good, but what is really remarkable is they got a four and a half game lead over Arizona at least before tonight. I didn't see the scores. Uh, four and a half game lead in, in the second wild card. This team could make the playoffs. Now they're not going to go anywhere in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, they might beat they, they might beat the Cardinals because they'll probably pitch Latos against them. Uh, but I can't. There's, in my opinion, there's no way they're going to beat Pittsburgh three out of five. Uh, they're, they're just not that good. Pittsburgh is too good. So the Reds have had their chance. And this, what's what's so frustrating? If they would have added one bat to this team, this team would be in first place. And they had all year to do it. It reminds me of 2011. After they won in 2010, they did nothing in 2011, and they lost. And they're not going to win the division this year either. Yep, I I agree with you. Now, but pitchers, Mark, are just like hitters. They go through slumps just like hitters do. And when you put the pressure that the Reds have put on their pitching staff this year, not only do they go through slumps, but they go through mental slumps too. And I think they become mentally tired. And I think this Cardinal team kind of showed that the Reds pitching staff is getting tired. Yeah, I think they are. And, you know, when you have pitchers like Arroyo and Leak, who are what I call touch pitchers, finesse pitchers. They, they, they're not going to overpower anybody. If they're off, and they were off this weekend, a good team will pick them apart. Now, if you have a guy like Singrani, uh, or Latos, or Cueto, or even Bailey, they, they're going to throw hard every day. They're, it's unlikely they're going to get lit up. But when you have games that... The Reds have had so many games slip away this year in the ninth inning, or late in the game, the eighth inning, 
I mean, that heartbreaker of San, against San Diego last week, when they were ahead one to nothing going into the night, Chapman gives up a two-run home run. That that that's a backbreaker. It's a two-game swing uh, in, in the standings, number one. Uh, but it's also a, a tough thing psychologically. And if they win that game, you know, then you have a winning road trip as opposed to a losing road trip. So they, they've, they've lost probably nine or ten games like that this year. They, they had games they had in the bag. And those games are now coming back to haunt them. Mark, they scored 13 runs against the Cardinals in three games. You would think if you score 13 runs in three games with their pitching staff, you at least win two out of three. Yes, but not when you give up 28 and two in two games. Right. You 28 runs in two games, you're not going to win much. So, you know, the, the, the Reds are a very, very beatable team, uh, and, and everybody knows they're beatable. And unfortunately now, it's too late. You, you can't go out there and get somebody good uh, and and the, they're stuck with what they have. So uh, the irony is they can, they can make the playoffs. And that's the unbelievable thing. Uh, but with, with just a little bit of help from the front office, this team you know could have done so much better this year. Well, Walt Jockety and Dusty Baker uh, met for a half an hour, according to Trent Rosencrantz, uh, on his Twitter account yesterday. They met for a half an hour after the game to discuss what was going on. And, you know, uh, Greg and I discussed this this morning, and our opinion of what happened in that meeting, it was behind closed doors and nobody knows, but our opinion of what happened in that meeting was Walt said to Dusty, Dusty, what do you think's going on here? And Dusty said, I don't know, what do you think? And Jockety said, I don't know either. Well, that, that may be true, uh, but what, what was very clear, I watched that game yesterday painfully, uh, watched it, uh, that team gave up. That, that team gave up on Dusty. And when he's talking about being embarrassed, he's talking about his players not going out there and, and giving 100%. And that team did not give 100% yesterday. But the other thing is, I think they're intimidated by St. Louis. St. Louis is a better team. There's no question in my mind they're a better team. And with the, with the roster the Reds are throwing out there at this point, they don't have a competitive chance to win even with the great pitching they have. When you have the kind of holes in that lineup that they do, that team cannot compete. And let, let me throw out some stats for you, David, uh, in terms of what this team is faced with. And I'm, I'm just looking here over the last, I think I went back uh, 15 games. Over 15 games, you had Chu hitting 156, Robinson 233, Phillips 205, Frazier 150, which and that includes a big series in San Francisco. He's also 0 for 28 right now. Heisey 148, Miserocco 212, Cozart 264, Paul 077, and Asturias 000. Those eight players over the last 17 games have a combined batting average of 178. That is, you know, you, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you said as tourists as batting average, you almost sounded like the, uh, the the dean at the college in Animal House where <laughs> Bluto had a grade point average of 0. 0.0. Dean Faber. Yes. Dean Faber. 
Yes, well, I feel like Dean Faber looking at these guys because you, you have only two players. Uh, Jay Bruce in that period hit 390 and Botto hit 375, but th they never have a chance to come up with a, with anybody on base. And in Bruce's case, yesterday he looked so bad at the plate, you could tell he was trying to do too much. He was trying to hit a five-run home run. Swinging at pitches that were a foot outside, the pitchers know it. They don't give Votto anything to hit, and he still hits 375. Can you imagine if the Reds had a legitimate number four hitter? I mean, Votto would hit 390, and he'd hit you know a ton of home runs. He'd drive in 130 runs. He, you can't get the guy out. Everything he hits is hard, but he can't do it by himself. They pitch around him. They walk him. And when you have guys in front of you, I mean, Chu's getting on base, but even he, the last 15, 20 games, is hitting 156. So the Reds just have too many holes in the lineup, and unfortunately, I think it's too late to make any changes, obviously. And now all you hope is you, you hang on by your thumbs, hoping that you can get that last wild card spot. Well, I've got two questions for you about what's going on here. And the first question is, with the bench that the Reds have, with the guys that you just mentioned, Paul, as tourists, even Hanahan, what impetus do Frazier and Cozart have to ever improve if they don't have anybody behind them that can step in and take their spot? Well, that's why uh, you bring up a great point. Uh, if I were running the Reds, and they haven't called me to do that for a while, but if I were, I, I would send Frazier down. Right now, he's over 28. Uh, over the last uh, 20 games, he's hitting 150. Uh, since the second week in April, he is hitting under 200. Uh, he, he doesn't have any confidence at the plate. Let the guy go back down and, and spend a month at AAA. Bring up, uh, I think it's Rodriguez, that third baseman. He was 5 for 5 the other day. Let him play. He's not as good defensively, but he'll hit. Frazier is helpless at the plate. And if you're going to make send a message, not to punish him, but to say, guys, this is a performance sport. If you don't perform, if you hit, if you're hitting 150 over the last 30 games, and you're hitting 180 over the last 100 games, you have to do better. And we can't have you on the roster. I mean, I, I don't understand why they don't make those moves. I don't understand the psychology of it, because if you're Todd Frazier, you're dying. You are dying. You're 0 for 28, and you look like you're 0 for 50. Uh, he's dragging. He, he, you can see his facial expressions. The poor guy, I feel sorry for him. But send him down. Let him work on it. You can't work on it when you're in the major leagues. And the second question I guess I have to ask you is, if you recall last year, the Indians entering the trading deadline were only three or four games out of first place, and the front office did nothing to help this ball club, and the team just absolutely quit, not only on the team, the city, but Manny Acta, and I was upset about that. This is almost the same situation, Mark. This team, when, the, when they saw that the front office did nothing to help them, They've get they've got to have the impression in that locker room, Mark, that this front office 
doesn't believe in us and, and they're just not going to get us any help. So why bother? I don't know if it's that. It's hard for me to believe that Major League Baseball players give up. These guys are world-class athletes. They've been the best at their sport since they've been in you know third grade. Uh, but the, the fact is, you, if you're not hitting like a Cozart is not hitting, Frazier is not hitting, Hannigan is not hitting, he's hitting 190. Up and down the lineup, Paul's not hitting, Asturias, uh, Heisey. Heisey's four for 27. You know, this is a guy who had a chance to start in left field and change his career. Uh, he, he, he's hitting 210 for the year. The Reds have made some mistakes in personnel. They've picked the wrong people. And at some point, you've got to admit we made a mistake. Hey, guys, we screwed up. We thought Frazier, we thought last year, even though I told you this last year, <clears throat> the second half of the year, he hit 190. And he had a great first half, and he had a pretty good last two or three weeks that, that made people forget how bad he was in June, July, and August. But he was bad, just like he is now. And if you can't see that in your organization, at some point you got to say, hey, guys, we screwed up. We need to go get a third baseman. And they didn't do that. <coughs> and they've had a couple of opportunities to do it, not, over, not only over the winter, but also during the trade deadline. Well, okay, we've had our opportunity to say what we wanted to say about the Indians and the Reds. I know we've got a lot more to say, and we're going to do that on our Ask Us segment right after this timeout. Last year's Rookie of the Year, Dylan Michael, has in his second year with Cincinnati been named the league's most valuable player. Michael shook off any sophomore jinx by leading the league in hits, home runs, and came within two RBI of capturing the Triple Crown. 19-year-old Michael was quoted as saying, he appreciated the award, but was disappointed the team could not advance beyond the first round of the playoffs. Blasted Bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can order your copy right here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Just simply by going on to the right side of our homepage and ordering it there. Before we get into our Ask Us segment, Mark, just very quickly, the suspensions came down from Major League Baseball today. The biggest one, of course, the biggest names, there were three of them, Nelson Cruz of Texas, Johnny Peralta of Detroit. They all accepted their 50-game suspension, and they're done for the year. But A-Rod is going to fight it. Your thoughts? You know, I heard today, I think, some sanity about this uh, regarding A-Rod and this whole thing, uh, and Nelson Cruz particularly. And Nelson Cruz can get back to the playoffs. I mean, he can still play this year. Uh, if Detroit want, or if uh, Texas wants him to play, but uh, I have never heard conclusively what it is these guys did, other than a reference to that this was blood doping, not unlike Lance Armstrong did. It wasn't taking steroids. It, it, it was it was a PED, unquestionably. But I, I heard a great argument today. This is a performance-enhancing drug they, they supposedly took, and, and obviously they did. But where do you draw the line with that? Couldn't you make the argument that Tommy John surgery takes something that is not supposed to be in the elbow, and they put it in the elbow, and everybody who has that surgery, everybody who has it, they come back and say, I'm throwing 
three to four miles an hour faster than I was before the surgery, and now you have 12-year-old kids coming in for that surgery because their parents want them to be major league ball players. Isn't that a performance-enhancing? It may not be a drug, but certainly a performance-enhancing procedure. And where do you draw that line? And do you say, okay, no more Tommy John surgery because it's not natural. You're taking something out of the knee or out of the thigh or wherever you're taking it and putting it into the elbow to make it so much stronger that it makes a minor league player into a major league player. I'd like to know details of what these guys did, to what extent did it enhance their performance, and it's a separate issue whether or not A-Rod should have taken his punishment like everybody else did, but no one says what they did. If it's steroids, that's a no-brainer. That'll kill you. Steroids will kill you. But taking testosterone? Is testosterone, which is naturally occurring in the body, if the, if the, if the levels are limited, is that all that bad? I, I, I wish I could have a doctor explain it to me because I don't know. But some of these, I think in some cases, there's a knee-jerk reaction to what these guys do. And I just wish Major League Baseball and even the Players Union was more forthcoming about what it is they do do. The only thing that I heard that A-Rod took was testosterone and human growth hormones. That's the only thing that I heard that he took. But this, to me, I think Bud Selig uh, didn't have the guts to tell A-Rod, and, and this is, I don't want to get into all this tonight because we've got so many questions on our Ask Us segment. I want to get into those. I just don't think Bud Selig had the guts to stand up and say, we're going to do this. This is how we're going to handle it. And if you want to appeal, appeal. But this is what we're going to do. And as far as I'm concerned, A-Rod should have sat. The rest of the players took their punishment like, like ball players. I think right there is the testament that they knew what they did was wrong. They knew baseball had them. And A-Rod is just trying to see if he can coax another $30, $40, 50000000 out of the Yankees that he didn't deserve. But anyway, that, that's just my opinion. Let's get into our Ask Us segment because we've got a ton of questions tonight, Mark. And our Ask Us segment, of course, you can email us and tweet us at askus at ultimatesportstalk.com or you can tweet us at altsportstalk. All right, first of all, Johnny V, and this I think is the very interesting and top-of-the-show topic. I've sat back all year and listened while you guys support Dusty Baker. This guy is done. He looks defeated and exhausted. He has no gas, and neither does the team. Jockety needs to start interviewing new coaches now, otherwise next season will be a waste, too. Dusty Baker, the problem, Mark? This is the first time I have looked at Dusty Baker with a, with a different set of eyes, I guess. And it's not so much about his X's and O's and, and all that type of thing. To me, Dusty Baker looks exhausted. He looks tired. And when you have a stroke like he did last year, it's been less than a year since this man had a stroke. And here he is coming back trying to manage a Major League Baseball team. Yesterday I saw him on the bench, and uh, I forget who it was, but somebody struck out with the bases loaded. Or when they had the bases loaded, nobody out the other day. I think it was in the eighth inning against the Cardinals. He ended up winning the game, but Dusty Baker had no reaction. 
you know, you, you, you see your team, bases loaded, nobody out, they don't score a run. You would like to see the manager throw his hat down or turn around and say whatever he says under his breath to his, his coaches, but no reaction, no emotion. He looked tired. He looked defeated. And yesterday was the worst performance by a Reds team I can recall in the last 10 years, and that's saying a lot. I've seen a lot of games, and that was the worst performance I've seen by a team. And Dusty, those guys gave up on Dusty. And I, I well, think... And go ahead. Uh, go, oh, I was just going to say, you know, we mentioned here in the earlier in the show that Jockety and Baker had a half an hour meeting. I don't think they needed to have a meeting together. I think they needed to have a meeting with the team. Well, I'm not so sure that it would do as as good as the team having a players only meeting. And but but who is going to lead on that team? That that team does and not contain. They don't have a leader. Good question. There is no leader in that team. There's no Barry Larkin. There's no Dave Parker. Uh, there's nobody you can look back on. Uh, Scott Rowland. Uh, there's nobody there that is respected enough and has the personality. Joey Votto is a great player, but Joey Votto is not that kind of guy. He just isn't. And usually your catcher is a raw, raw guy. Now, Devin Mesoraco, in two or three years, could be that guy. Number one, Devin Mesoraco, I don't know if you've ever seen this guy up close. This guy's a stud. And he has the kind of physical presence that he could get in somebody's grill and say, you know what, if you don't run the first base again, I'm going to come over there and knock you in the head. And that that will get people's attention. He, he has that potential, but he's too young. You can't expect a second-year player to do that. So the Red, that's why the Reds needed Ludwig, not just because of, of his ability to hit, but because he was that senior leadership, that, that senior guy on the bench that can uh, can certainly help the team. But right now this team is rudderless. And Johnny V., uh, I think you might be right, pal. I, I think that Dusty, health-wise, I, I don't think he's up to the task right now. And the Reds need an infusion of some energy, and it's certainly not going to come from Dusty. Well, here's another coaching question, Mark. Zuper GI tweets into us, don't the Reds have a hitting coach? Why does he have to go to the minor leagues, he's talking about Frazier here, to work on his game? Can't they teach that at the top level? And you and I have discussed Brooke Jacoby as the hitting coach, and you have to wonder what, what it is that he is doing. Now, Zuper, you can't teach it during a championship season like this. It's During the season is not the time you work on technique. <clears throat> you do that in spring training, and you do that in the off season, And that's why the Reds need to have Frazier down in uh, in AAA hitting with the hitting uh, working with the hitting coach 3 or 4 hours a day or going to Arizona for a week or two to to get his stroke back because he's helpless at the plate right now but you cannot fix that during the season but the problems he has he had last year I pointed him out last year and I'm not the only one he his swing is so filled with holes that any reasonably competent major league pitcher is going to get him out. And they've proven that over the last year and a half. He, he, he's simply not a major league hitter today. Well, here's another question. Other than trading for Chu, did the Reds do anything of value during this offseason? That came from where the Reds at? Well, the only thing they did of note was sign Jonathan Broxton. 
and they paid him $7 million for three years to be their closer. Now let me ask you a question. Is he their closer? No. Why would you pay a setup man $7 million a year? That That's a real good question. Why not... Why not sign Young from Texas? Uh, you, you could have gotten a third baseman for that kind of money, good money, uh, for Broxton, who, number one, is a 300-pound guy who's going to eat his way out of the big leagues, uh, and he got, he, he's not pitched well this year. I think that was the worst move the Reds have made in several years, is signing Broxton to a three-year deal for that amount of money. And then not, not putting in the... the, the position you signed him for, but the reason they didn't, they saw him in spring training and said, oh my gosh, we can't turn the ninth inning over to this guy. He, he doesn't have that kind of stuff. Not anymore. And, you know, he weighs 315 pounds. And he, he's not going to be a guy who, who you can rely on. To me, a professional athlete has to have some pride in what they do. And you can't tell me when you're six foot two and you weigh 315, you're, you're taking care of yourself physically. So I think that was a huge mistake. And uh, the Reds simply didn't do anything over the year outside of Chu to, to help themselves. And right now, Chu is not performing like he did earlier in the year. And the Reds gave up a ton to get Chu. And that, that, that trade could come back to haunt them for a long time. And that leads us into our next question. Who day NFL fan says on our Twitter account that last year the Reds needed a leadoff hitter. They got one in Chu. Now all of a sudden they need one more bat to compete. Well, yeah, when you lose Ludwig, your cleanup hitter, that moves everybody into an unfamiliar spot, I would say. You're absolutely right, David. I mean, when you lose <laughs> first, he has one at bat this year, you lose your, your number four guy. That has a ripple effect throughout the lineup and the bench. You weaken your bench. You weaken your starting rotation. You weaken everything when you lose your number four guy. But don't forget, they lost their number one pitcher, too, in Johnny Cueto. They lost their number one setup guy in Sean Marshall. They they lost their number two setup guy in Jonathan Broxton. So you when you lose four guys like that, uh, you're not going to be as good a team as you thought you were. But you have to go out and fill those holes. What what I don't understand is the mentality that believes that Broxton and Marshall and Ludwig, who have effectively not played all year, and Cueto, who's played less than a month, are going to come back and magically carry this team to victory. It doesn't work that way. Ludwig is hitting one what one fourteen one fifteen. He's got two hits playing in single-A and triple-A. The guy's not ready. Cueto may not be back the rest of the year. This team right now is is probably the fourth-best team in the Central. And as you know, saying all that negative stuff, the, the irony is this team could play 500 ball the rest of the year, finish eight or ten games over 500, and make the playoffs. And my question then is, What's Dusty going to do, or what's what's uh, Jockety going to do next year? You're going to hey that that worked. Let's let's keep Frazier at third base for another year. Well, I love the fact that our fans keep calling in on our uh, our uh, Twitter account. Ernie Doncha 
says, Mark, if Chapman wasn't a crybaby, he would be in the starting rotation and not the closer. The Reds signed Broxton thinking Chapman was going to be a starter. I don't recall Chapman ever being a, a crybaby about not being the closer. Is that something that I missed? No, he wasn't a crybaby, but somebody asked him, and I, and I think it was taken out of context. They said, what would you rather do? Would you rather start or would you rather be a closer? He said, I'd rather close. It doesn't mean he wouldn't close or he couldn't close. It's just that when – I think it was on a 50-50, what are you going to do? Are you going to put Chapman in the rotation or you put him in the bullpen? And when he came out and said that, they said, okay, well, if that's what he wants to do, let's, let's let him do what he wants to do. But this year, he's got the fewest innings and appearances <clears throat> on this team for people, people who have been on the team all year arguably the best arm in Major League Baseball. And <clears throat> he's going to have the fewest innings and the fewest appearances of, of any team, any, any player on the team. Wouldn't you want your best arm to be in the starting rotation and pitch 200 or 230 innings a year as opposed to 50 or 60? Doesn't that make sense just mathematically? All right, I'm upset now. They brought in Chris Perez in a 2 nothing ball game, and he's blown the save. No. The Tigers now all of a sudden are up 4-2 to two in the ninth inning. Maybe what Chris Perez needs to do, Mark, okay, away from the Reds for a minute, maybe what Chris Perez needs to do is go visit his dog and get a little more weed and sit back tonight and puff on a big fatty. <laughs> he gave up four runs? He's given up four runs. He gave up a double to Fielder and then a base hit to Martinez. Then he walked the next guy, and uh, Alex Avila just hit a three-run homer, and they've just taken Perez out of the ball game. That's the best move Terry Francona has made all year, getting Chris Perez out of the ball game. Well, that's a heartbreaker. That is a real uh, heartbreaker. Yeah. They go into the ninth inning with a 2 nothing lead. Corey Kluber and Joe Smith pitches their pitch their guts out. And Chris Perez comes in, and he chokes on it. Wow. So, That's like that game we, against San Diego. San Diego and the Reds. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's, now that I've gone through that, let's go into this, this one other question about the Reds. I know we all want to give up on the Reds, but they're still in the race. What can this team do to turn things around? This comes from Lonnie. Well, again, since I'm not in charge, I can't say much about it other than what this team needs is the ability to score runs without a home run. And they, they don't play small ball well enough, and they haven't for years. For, really, for years, as long as Dusty's been there, they've never played small ball. And they always wait for the three-run home run. And with the team batting averages that I mentioned earlier, you've got to manufacture runs. You've got to put the bat in the ball. You can't strike out as much as this team does. So I wish they would they would consider getting these guys on base, moving them over. Tell me why Cozart doesn't bunt more. Why doesn't Cozart, who stole 30 bases twice in the minor league, steal bases? Why doesn't Robinson steal more? Chu only has 12 stolen bases. And the other thing you're not doing is going from first to third. The team, the team has no speed, but Dusty... He batted Cozart in second position almost 100 games this year. That is just lunacy. 
If the Reds... Well, I know, are, you know, you and I, Mark, talked about when Ludwig comes back, and you said he was probably going to move into the, the cleanup spot, and I didn't think that that was a great idea. I told you that. I thought he should go to number six, leave Phillips where he's been all year. He's accustomed to that cleanup position. And and put leave Cozart at number two and just have him bunt. If he comes up with a guy on base, he bunts. The only time he swings away is when he comes up with nobody on. Well, it it really depends on how <coughs> effective Cozart is or uh, uh, Ludwig is because uh, Brandon Phillips is your best number two hitter. Clearly, he's your best number two hitter, and putting him there m- makes it tougher. For, for a pitcher to go through that lineup, but you got to have people who make contact. And Jay Bruce is going to strike out probably 175 times this year. And what's really been disturbing is Brandon Phillips. Since he got hit in Pittsburgh about two months ago, he really has not he, he has not performed. He, he's driven in some runs. I give him that, but he's doing it on ground balls and and, and sacrifice flies and. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But he's not driving the ball as a number four hitter, and that's why people don't pitch Devado. Not in a tough spot, because Phillips can be pitched to. So I would move Phillips to second position. I have Votto third, and I have Hannigan fourth, Bruce fifth. But then things get really, really hazy, because the Reds just don't have that extra bat. And they have, although Mesoraco is swinging the bat better, they got Mesoraco and Hannigan, and you've got Frazier, and you've got Cozart. And those are really, really holes in your lineup that you can't overcome. This team can't win offensively with that with those guys in the lineup. You know, you talk about leaders on the red squad. I think that's been a big thing that the Indians have had this year. They've had Swisher come over, and Jason Giambi, I think, is a – is a big leader on this team. And Engines42 just tweeted us after this home run by Avila on Perez, and he said, the Reds might not have a leader, but the Indians have Nick Swisher, and he may knock Perez out after tonight's outing. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, that's what you need. I mean, they're not going to go in there and pick on a guy because he made a physical mistake through a pitch in the wrong spot. But what you do get upset with if a guy isn't prepared. That will bring the wrath of a leader down on the player more than anything. If they think he's out partying, he's not working, he's not stretching with the team, he's not doing the things he needs to do to make himself better, that will get a, a, a guy like Roland, uh, you know, he, he won't fool around with that. And Dusty just doesn't call players out. And unfortunately, that, that's his MO. You can't argue with his success. He's been a very successful manager. But this team, is 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 too young for Dusty. He he can't relate to this team. And again, I, I'm not picking on Dusty. He can't help. He had a stroke, but he's what 67 years old, and he's. I don't think he's ready. He wasn't ready to come back and take over the reins of this team this year. Well, that that could be very very well true. Let's look at some other comments just real quickly, Mark about the Reds, and then I want to get to a couple questions about the Indians here tonight. Here's some Twitter comments. I'm just going to read down three or four of them. Uh, the Reds made a huge deal. Walton Dusty hired someone to rename Twitter to Quitter. 
when can the Reds start bringing up minor leaguers? I want to watch players who care. Uh, here's a prediction. I don't agree with this one. I'm going to ask your opinion on this one. The Reds won't make the playoffs this year. No, I think the Reds will make the playoffs. I think the numbers are on their side, not because they're going to play particularly well. It's just that there's a lot of weak teams in the league, and all they have to do is really beat out Arizona, and I think they can do that. So uh, if they just play 500 the rest of the year, the Reds have a real good chance to make the playoffs, and if they can't do that, uh, they should get rid of a whole bunch of guys. Well, a couple of other comments here. Where's the Pepto-Bismol watching the Reds make me sick? Uh, who do they think they're going to beat them Reds? Everybody. And here's one. Mark, it's okay if you want to talk Bengals on the next show. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, guys, for all of us out there, and, and I'm as guilty as anybody, uh, getting very, very frustrated with this team. I, I told you, Dave, I've said it three or four times on the air, this is the most boring team the Reds have had in a number of years. This team has no speed, has no excitement, it has no personality, it has no energy. That that Those are bad things to call your favorite team. But despite all that, they are 8-9 and nine over the last 17. They, they've got a four-and-a-half game lead in the wild card. They're probably going to make the playoffs. And if the guys on the DL come back, this team ought to make the playoffs comfortably. But it doesn't mean they're a good team. It just means everybody else is worse. And if this team does not make the playoffs, I don't think there's any chance in the world Dusty comes back next year. And, Mark, the team that's right behind the Reds in the wild card standings is Arizona, and they traded their ace last week. They've given up. Well, they yeah, I, I think they if they haven't given up, they've certainly seen the writing on the wall. And, you know, to overcome four and a half games, I think, though, there are only four back in the loss column. Um, you know, it's a lot to come back this this late in the year. But having said that, if the Reds continue to play the way they played the last week, uh, a lot can happen. There's, there's no guarantees. But, again, there's going to be a lot of guys out of a job if the Reds don't make the playoffs this year. Well, okay, let's let's go through a couple of, Red, of Indians questions as we wrap up tonight's show. Thorpe says, will the Indians be able to keep up this momentum for the rest of the year? I don't think the Tigers are going anywhere, and the Indians seem to be playing above their level right now. Well, I'm not sure the Indians are playing above their level, Thorpe, but after you look at Chris Perez's outing tonight in his Detroit game, uh, I would admit that the Indians have probably uh, over-excelled. Do I think they're playing above their level? No. I think they're a team that is learning to win, and they're making mistakes because this is really the first time that they've been involved in a pennant race. Uh, do I think they'll be able to keep it up? I think they're going to finish over 500. I think they're going to finish with anywhere from 85 to 88 wins. Is that good enough to get them into the playoffs? Good question. Texas is kind of uh, at a disadvantage now since they've lost Nelson Cruz. They're, they're down two bats now instead of just one. So, the Indians, I think, have just as good a chance as anyone. I think they're a good ball club. I don't think they're in the caliber of the Tigers, and it's being proven here tonight. Another question that we've got here tonight from Jake. Curious what you guys think about Francona pitching Salazar in the Tigers series. Is he really ready for this? We talked about this a little bit earlier, Mark. And the thing about it is, is I think it's a great move 
by the Indians. Um, Salazar, if, if you don't give a kid an opportunity to get experience, he's never going to get experience. And this is the chance for him. Like you said earlier, and I agree, he, the Tigers have not seen him. He's got an excellent fastball. He's got a great slider and a changeup. He's a kid that is probably going to be in the starting rotation next year. And Jimenez has never pitched well against the Tigers. And Terry Francona didn't want to put him in that position again. So I think it's a great move by Salazar. He may not be ready, but the fact is he's never going to be ready if he doesn't get the opportunity. Well, this is one of those second-guessers dream games because if he comes in and he gets lit up, they're going to they're gonna blame the Indians front office and, and Francona for making the decision they did. But I agree with you. I think it's a smart move. It's it's a calculated risk. But if it if it pans out, then you've got Jimenez coming back, pitching against a team he may have a better chance to beat than Detroit. I don't know who who pitches against next, but it could be a great move. But fans have to appreciate teams that take a chance like this. And I think it's a smart move, and you t- you take your chances. But I think it's a strategic one, and I'm glad they're doing it. Well, one final question here. And I'm going to kind of assume that this is what Devin means because this question encompasses both the Indians and the Reds. But he says, not many teams made a trade before the deadline, but the Indians did when they got Zubchinsky. Devin says, I know it was small, but what kind of impact do you think this move will have? He says on the Reds pitching staff and bullpen, I think he means the Indians pitching staff and bullpen. I think it gives the Indians that second left-hander coming out of the bullpen. Nick Hagedon was not cutting it for the Indians in ample opportunities that he's had this year. He's back in Columbus. Rich Lee uh, has been up and down as far as his production has been concerned. The Indians really needed another left-hander in that bullpen, but the odd man out ended up being Vinny Pestano. Now, Pestano supposedly was the closer in grooming. But now Cody Allen is into the ball game against Detroit. I think he's the closer in grooming. And I'll tell you, Mark, this question has not been sent in, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. And I've said this before. Chris Perez, for all that he brings to the field, is not backing up the troubles that he commits off the field and his mouth puts him into. And I think he's starting to wear out his welcome. First of all, when he w- went off in the front office last year, Mark, it was a welcome sight by Indians fans. But now, with this marijuana thing and some of the stuff that he has said and his performance on the field this year, it's just not panning out. Well, it's it's <laughs> when you blow a game like tonight, if the Indians go ahead and lose this game, uh, this is the one that will keep you up at night. This is a tough, tough loss. And again, if he has prepared himself as, as best he can and just had a bad night, you know, you, you, you have to live with it. But if there's something else going on out there where he's not preparing himself, he's, to me, and I, and this is only seeing him two or three times this year, he looked overweight to me. And maybe he wasn't compared to what last year. He, he just looked not as felt as he was last year. And maybe it could have been just a, you know, a bad angle that I was watching, but, Assuming for a second that he's not in as good a shape as he could be, that is where you get upset as a teammate. Now, if he's doing everything he can, bad day, it happens to everybody. Mark, i got to tell you, I think you're right. He's not Prince Fielder, but he's not exactly Drew Stubbs either. 
And the fact of the matter is, I don't know this from personal experience, but I have been told, when you're smoking fatties, you end up being a fatty. <laughs> and that's the case with this guy, I believe. That, that's well, just, again, just an opinion. Yeah, no, nobody knows, but I'll tell you who does know. It's the guys in the locker room. And uh, they know. They know when a guy is doing whatever he is to make himself the best player he can. And they'll get a lot of respect, even if they don't perform in the field as they everybody wants them to. But if somebody's dogging it and they're not doing as much as they can, uh, that's where you have players get very upset with their teammates. Well, that's going to do it for tonight's show. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Well, uh, let me see. They have, um, let me see, I don't have the schedule in front of me. Um, I wrote Oakland it down. on uh, yeah, they, Tuesday and Wednesday. They, Oakland, then they go on the road to Milwaukee and Chicago. So, uh, you know, once they get by Oakland, their schedule eases up considerably. And if they get a split with Oakland, I, you know, I like their chances going into the middle of August and September. So hopefully they can uh, they can get on a roll and, and get back to 15, 16 games over. And if they do, they'll make the playoffs. And for the Indians, they've got Detroit after tonight, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, all night games. And then they've got the Los Angeles Angels coming to town for Friday and Saturday night and Sunday afternoon. And we'll talk all about it again next Monday night here at 9 o'clock. Mark, thanks a lot. Good luck the rest of the week, and have a good one. You too, David. Take care. Thanks to everybody who wrote us tonight on our Ask Us segment, and please do it again next week. It makes the show a lot more enjoyable and a lot easier for Mark and I to do when we hear from the fans. So our thanks to you for participating here tonight. Don't forget, coming up on Thursday night, our Ultimate Sports Talk show at 7 o'clock, where I'll be previewing the Pac-12 conference. And again, we'll be back next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly show at 9 o'clock. Our thanks to you again. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer. Our thanks to Mark Donahue. And I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody. Good night.